Welcome to the podcast from heartache to healing and hope. Season two, weathering the storm, cultivating kindness. And I'm your host, Bernadette Wintersbell. To the podcast from heartache to healing and hope. And I'm Bernadette Winters Bell. And wait till you see who I have as a guest today, Kathy Fanslow, a dear friend for a long time that I get to share with you today. Welcome, Kathy. Hi. Hi, Bernadette. How are Hi, you? Hi, honey. It's good to see you. It's good, good to, to see you too. <laughs> so since you're of the two of us, know yourself the best. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Uh, well, first, uh, where I am now is a retire a fifty year retired hospice nurse. Um, but I'll I came into nursing and working with the dying in a, a rather unusual way. Um, I went to a Catholic high school and started the uh, candy stripers at a local hospital. And then um, I was so impressed with the way these nursing sisters were that I joined them at the ripe old age of 18. <laughs> so you became a nun? Yes, I became a nursing sister of the sick poor. And the mission of that particularly wonderful community was to the sick and poor in their own homes. And the majority then, I'm talking way back now, because mm -hmm. uh, I graduated from Mary Immaculate Nursing School in 1964. Mm. So that's a long time ago. <laughs> um, but uh, I loved the work and the things I learned from the dying and uh, learning about my hope system, it came from that time because we would go out uh, with our little bags. And um, I have many stories of my my cross getting caught in the subway train and running. Oh, oh no, what, with the <laughs> doors closing? Yes, the door closed. I'm running along and thank heaven it was on elastic. And just before I hit the wall, the elastic broke. <laughs> so <laughs> I have many, many stories, wonderful stories. But the, the crux of it is, and the thing I loved the most was we would go and take care of them in the daytime. And then we would go back at night and people would pick us up, the families would come and get us, and we would stay with those families and the dying through the night or until they died. Yeah, so, and that was, you know, I, I did that for 16 years. Now, were these people in the community, Kathy, or were they yes. other nuns that you were taking care of? No, there were no, 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 no. These were, these were just regular people in the community. Most, I would say the majority of the people that we took care of were cancer patients. Mm -hmm. We had others, you know, mixed in, right. uh, but the majority were cancer patients. Yes. Yeah. So, and it, it, you know, it was such a wonderful experience because uh, oftentimes, like if you're working in a hospital and you're working with someone who's dying, but then you leave, you go off shift. But this, I was able to um, listen and hear and be taught by the dying in a way that was really extraordinary, you know, and I, I really thank God for it every day. Yeah. 
It's pretty yeah. amazing. So at that time, who would have made the referral for the 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 nuns to come in to take care of someone? Yeah. Because hospice wasn't even really a concept in this country. Yeah. Right, right, right. Hospice, you know, really began with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and I studied with her, which was wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Where did you study with Elizabeth? In Chicago. Isn't that amazing? And it was two weeks, and it was the most wonderful two weeks in my life. And the last day, she invited us to her house for a lunch. Mm -hmm. And I got to meet, I, I, of course, was from, I was a nursing sister. We were from Brooklyn. Her husband was from Brooklyn. And he was the, he was the bartender at the lunch. <laughs> so I had a wonderful talk with him. And um, in at the end of it, Elizabeth said to me, in you, I've lit a candle and I'll be happy to see how it glows. Oh. Yeah, and that was 19, yeah, 1962. How, no, sorry, 64. I had just graduated from NYU. Happy that yeah. she was able to see in you that she had lit a fire. And of course, lighting yeah. a candle is a lovely way to say it. And yeah. she knew that you would take it forward. Yeah, she did. She did, and that was the beginning of a relationship. If she was ever in the New York area, um, I could go to her workshops or go to the, the final day or evening, mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and uh, when I started to write my book, she encouraged me because she wanted to write something on hope, but it wasn't, it wasn't the time for her. It was mm -hmm. too early. So, um, and she read my manuscript before she died. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I was yeah. speaking with David Kessler, who has written books and is right. a wonderful name in this field. Um, and he worked with Elizabeth and studied and wrote books. And I mentioned yeah. your name, and he goes, "Oh yes, yes, I remember yeah. hearing about you." So it's oh. amazing how all these connections come together. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's wonderful. And 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 uh, you know, with the nursing sisters, it was. Um, it was uh, such a wonderful experience. But then um, I realized, and um, as I say, I was there 16 years, mm. but then I realized that I, I outgrew religious life. You know, we had had Vatican II and we were really more in regular clothes and things, um, but I had gotten a traineeship and a scholarship to NYU for nursing, for a master's. And I think that experience um, uh, and learning, you know, from Dolores Krieger and Martha Rogers, and really amazing, amazing women nurses, educators. Um, I kind of realized that I, although I love the religious life, um, I as a person had outgrown it. And it actually was a, a big step forward for me because it freed me then to develop my, my death and dying courses, my hope system. Wow. You know, yeah. Was so, it hard uh, to leave the religious life even when you knew you had outgrown it? Yeah, well, what I did and what I think is so important is I went for counseling. Mm -hmm. And um, I went into a Franciscan priest on, on 34th Street 
So I was working in Nassau County and I knew every railroad stop on Nassau County on the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> so I would get the train, go in and see him and then come back and either, you know, go home to the convent or finish my cases. Um, but I had a lot of support and help. And when I left, you know, I, I love the old sisters. You know, they were the backbone of the community. So um, I spoke to each one of them individually. I wrote them notes and I did it my way. Mm -hmm. You know, I did it my way and I did it, um, how, how shall I say this? Cleanly, cleanly. And I had no regrets. Wonderful. I had no regrets, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I loved the life and I loved the patients. Um, but other things were calling me. <laughs> right, and so you were able to continue the work just in right. a different venue. And That's isn't it right. wonderful, like you say, to freed you up that when we are willing, able, and forced in some ways mm -hmm. to take that next step and grow, you know, right. it's yeah. hard, but it's, but it's freeing, you know? Oh, it is, it is, yeah. because it opened up a whole new world for me. Wow. You know? And, uh, and, and the freedom of being able to travel and teach and, right. you know, it, it, it was wonderful. The whole thing was, uh, um, was a big growth process for me. So yeah. you went then to get, um, to become mm -hmm. an RN at NYU. Yeah. Well, I went, I got an RN um, as a nursing sister. And then, um, then I, the community sent me to Adelphi, so I got a bachelor's degree. Uh, I think I got a scholarship for that too. But then I got the traineeship and a scholarship to NYU, and it was in um, uh, home care and rehabilitation nursing. So, you know, I did work at uh, Sloan Kettering. You know, I did a whole section, a six months uh, traineeship there. And um, it was it was wonderful because it was two years full time, wow. 60 credits. And I did an additional eight. Yes. So wow. I think I think up the street, at, <laughs> I could have gotten a doctorate, but I didn't yeah, want a doctorate. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was uh, very intense. And that was a master's course. Yeah. That was, um, I came out as a clinical nurse specialist in oncology and thanatology. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, is that still a degree someone can get? That's so interesting. Yeah, I think more, it's, it's, it, it, it's now really more nurse practitioners. Right, right. Yes, yeah. And they're, they're at the master's level. Yes. Um, uh, the clinical nurse specialist, really, you don't hear about it too much. Right, that's what I was yeah, thinking. Right, yeah, yeah, because I mean that was 72, 1972. Right. And here we are almost 2022. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. after you graduated, where did you go? Well, I stayed, uh, I went to uh, I started the um, visiting nurse service of New York hospice program. Mm -hmm. And um, that was amazing i was the clinical nurse specialist there i was the teacher and educator for that program yeah and that was in uh bronx manhattan and queens and then um i was there for quite a while 
I, I forget how many years. And then I went and worked in radiation therapy more to uh, understand the treatments for cancer patients. Mm. Um, then I went to Long Island Jewish where I was a clinical nurse specialist and started my death and dying course. And um, it was wonderful. Uh, I loved, I loved it. I loved it. And then I, uh, was asked to become the director of nursing for Calvary Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, that was not uh, too long uh, uh, a, a job for me. But what I loved about it was I had connected with the cancer care technicians and I taught them and I taught the nurses. And it was an amazing experience. I loved it. I just loved it. Yeah. And then I, I came out, I finished that. And um, then I, I, the first, one of the first hospices uh, in New York, in Nassau County, um, I was part of that. That was and, hospice it, care of Long Island? Long Island, yeah. And I think that's where we met. Wasn't That's it? exactly where we met. And that was the first certified hospice in New York State. There were right. other ones like at Mercy Hospital. Right. This was the first certified one. Right. right. Yeah. Did you, did you start there in nursing or bereavement? No, I started in nursing. Mm. I started in nursing, I think. And then I moved to bereavement because I realized that um, although I was still teaching my hope system and death and dying and all of that, I continued to teach and do seminars, you know, all over the country, all over the world, Switzerland, France, Germany, Canada, um, it, you know, amazing, amazing, amazing. But, um, and then, uh, and then I got married. So, And my husband was the pastoral care director in VNS for hospice. So we were kind of a hospice family, you know? Right. Yeah, right. yeah. So it was, it's, it's just been a, a wonderful, wonderful life. Um, but my, my going into bereavement was um, something, I think all those years, working with the dying and with their families and developing the hope system, I think it really, I realized that there was something so necessary in bereavement and in helping those people heal that I was just drawn into it, right. you know, drawn into it. And I, I, I can't even remember how many bereavement groups I worked with. Right. <laughs> we did, we did a lot, right? Yeah, we did. You know, <laughs> when you're in that world and you were the nursing part and I was the social work part, um, that you, after a long time, you realize that the people that are ill are very well cared for in right. the world we were in. Right. Um, and we're able to have a beautiful, comfortable, uh, blessed death passing. Right. Right. And then it was done. Yeah. Right. Fire, like if they were in the hospital or wherever. Yeah. And I can remember someone saying to me um, later on, well, he died. 
and mm -hmm. you guys came and picked up the bed and the oxygen and everything and he's going to be cremated and this is the next day and now what do i do yes exactly At that point, of course i was also in a bereavement so i was able to give her some hope but you're mm -hmm. right that's where it became necessary um for us and right. other people to say how do we support them then you know yes, yes. and the support groups and the kids groups oh kids my gosh aid and yeah, yeah that was and the camp remember the right? camp oh my gosh yeah that was that was so amazing wasn't it it was oh god I, I just loved it and yeah. it was interesting how many people thought that it was a nice thing we were doing, but not really necessary until right. they experienced it. Experienced it, yes. Until they lost someone. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. they had a family member who came to the groups and then they got it. Right. This right. isn't, oh, grandpa died. We had a funeral. We're sad. Move on. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. Oh. No. No, especially if the person who is dying or has died is the person close to you, bonded by both love and need. Absolutely. That death is, you know, I mean, it 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 is on so many levels exactly. that that the grieving is on so many levels. You know, yeah. I say to people yeah. that. Um, if you've had a profound loss and not every mm -hmm. loss is the same, and I, it's a similar thing right. to what you're saying. To me, a profound loss is not the title of the person that passed, but the heart-to-heart -heart connection. That's right. The love-need mind. Exactly. Right. And yeah. also where you are developmentally in your life. That yes, absolutely. Yeah. Way. Right. Yeah. We come to the same place and we just go at it a little differently. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So tell me more about your hope system. I know you've written a book about it. Oh, yes. I Can I uh, show the book or do. either now or even at now. the end? Okay, no, do it right now. now. Okay. It's using the power of hope to cope with dying, the four stages of hope. Can you see it? I How can. do I do that? I can. There we go. Absolutely. I know it's right here in my bookshelf also. I okay. love it. So um, not to give it away because I'd like people to, to buy the book, but right. um, what is it that's in it that was important to you to share with people? Yeah, you know, and it really came, uh, I think, from my years as a nursing sister and then as an RN in hospice, mm. that one of the most remarkable things about we who are human is I don't know if puppy dogs hope, I don't know if goldfish hope, but I know that we as humans hope right. and we never stop hoping. Those hopes change depending on where we are in life and what's happening. But when one is presented with a diagnosis of something that may or may not be able to be cured, my uh, my belief and my, um, my way of looking with people was that something comes up from within them and it is hope. And as they go along in their journey of life into death, those hopes change. That's right. But we're never really hopeless. 
I, it really upsets if me. You, if you have hope, right, then you can think about going forward or right. having a peaceful death or whatever the goal is at the, at the time. Right. right, right, right. Yeah. And initially, uh, the first uh, part of the hope system is, of course, hope for cure. Because um, I've yet to meet someone who was given a diagnosis that uh, uh, was very difficult and um, maybe not curable right. that didn't hope for the cure. Sure. You know, and they would do anything for that cure. Um, and that gives them the strength, actually, to go through chemo and radiation and all of the things that um, surgeries too, right? Even, right, you know, absolutely. to think of that. Um, it's that hope for the cure. And then it moves into hope for treatment. Mm -hmm. That whatever the treatment is, whatever they're going to do to me will take care of that problem. Right. Okay. And when you think of some of the um, really amazing surgeries that people uh, you know, go through. Um, it seems mind-boggling, you know, some of the head and neck surgeries and some of the other surgeries, but it's that hope that that cure, that treatment will again cure me. And then as that kind of goes through and there really isn't um, so much hope for a cure, the person moves into hope for prolongation of life. If I live long enough, they'll find the cure. If I live long enough, uh, my son will graduate. If I Either live long graduation enough. Graduation or the wedding or wedding, whatever. The, or right. the grandbaby or the baby or whatever. So the hope is for prolongation of life. And um, we need to really support people in that in what will help them in that process. And then as things go on, and it often in my experience uh, has to do with increasing weakness and perhaps pain, although um, we're able to manage pain so much better than we were in the beginning, you know, and, um, and that I'm so grateful for. You know, I thank God every day for that, <laughs> you know, for all the people and, and uh, some of the, the dermal things, the transdermal stuff and everything. Um, and then the hope moves into peaceful death. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we need to be very present to people in that and help the families particularly because the patient, uh, it's very important that they finish their business, whatever that business is. And it may be saying goodbye. It may be saying, I'm sorry. It may be saying, I love you. Right even though you've said it a million times, that final, I love you, um, and releasing, okay? So it, it, it's the complete uh, picture or life of the person from the beginning of the journey right. uh, till the end of the journey. You know, it's interesting yeah. uh, when I talk to people that as someone's going along in the journey, um, right. as they get, uh, along and closer to the end, they'll be doing life review and preparatory work. Right. And a lot of that can happen when they're conscious or sleeping, you know. And yeah. I said, somebody might wake up and talk about 1942. Right. And bike 
that they had or the bike they should have had and it should have right. had a basket and a bell right uh, yeah <laughs> i said no need to say oh no it's not 1942 now now it's you know oh yeah no, no. because th this isn't updating them they're telling you, you. what they're going through. And right. as my the dad, life review. Yeah. Right? Oh. they're doing the they're putting their ducks in a row because they can't right. change anything, of course. Right. But right. they say my life had value. And mm -hmm. these are the things I'm reviewing now. Right. I apologize to this kid fifth in kindergarten that I kicked. And then, oh, <laughs> I, I accept the apology of this, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because as we both know, it's the little things that come up at the That's end, right. not, not the big things. Not, not the big things, no. Right, no. right. No. And no. if we're there to say um, that their review is perfect for whoever they are, mm -hmm. and even somebody that has not led what others might think of as a good life, or they mm -hmm. had some terrible things, they need to know that their life had a value. Of you, right, yes, yeah, yeah. Even all if it's, life, all life is important. Exactly. Even all if it's life. an example of how not to do it, it's important. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. it was it was their life. Exactly. It was yeah. their experience, and therefore, it has value. It has merit, and um, so often it has joy. Absolutely. You know, a lot and of even times. If you can only remember those little things. There's joy. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, so often too, there's tears. No. You know, I would have, I should have, I could have. Why didn't I? Right. You know, and and um, thinking sometimes it it it's hard when when people come at that point and they they have many regrets. Uh, but then I think it's our role uh, to help them. You know, like if they mention, you know, I wish I said goodbye or I wish I did this or my brother or whatever, it's more if we can work with the families to see if there's some way right. of them being able to finish their business. Exactly. It's very important. And I think we, we as uh, caretakers and caregivers have a real responsibility to listen to that. Okay. You know, yes, it's important that we are we're taking care of their pain and we're um, comforting them and pastoral care is in and whatever, but whatever we could do, we can be a messenger from them, you know, even to the, to the wife or the son or, um, you know, and even just share their words to this. You know, it's amazing, Kathy. Um, I walked into a, a hospital room one time, uh, the patient was dying and I just met the family and I met with mm -hmm. the husband and three children and, her sister, whoever it was at the house. And then we caravan to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And when we go in, um, I hear someone talking in the room, but there's no one in the room but the patient. Uh. Oh, this is modern stuff. So it was a tablet. And she, oh. my sister down in Atlanta, Georgia, was there and talking to her sister and being part of the process. And I thought to myself, well, welcome to the future, you know, right, um, yeah. because now I was thinking now of what you were saying now, we didn't have to, I didn't have to say to myself, remember these words so you can tell her sister that she said, her sister was right there listening. Like right. it's a whole new world now, you know? Oh, it is, it is. Yeah. And it's really wonderful. 
Absolutely. It's really wonderful because it gives them enough distance to be able to, I mean, sometimes when you, you know yourself, when you're right in the room and you're talking to this person and they're hurtful or angry, it's right. very hard. Absolutely. But if they're in Louisiana, but their face is there, they can hear you. Uh, that's, that's, that's. Both different. people have enough distance to be able to give the love and accept it and right. not go into the, I remember when you did this to me. Yeah. When I was 12 you should have. And yeah, blah, exactly. Blah, blah. Exactly. Yes, Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah. did that for so many years, uh, yeah. as I well know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is it, my darling, that you're doing these days? Well, I'm very, it was very interesting, Bernadette, because you know me, you know how much I love my work. Right. And I thought, I, I, I don't think I can ever retire. I love this work. I love these people. Each, each home I go into is like a new novel. Mm -hmm. you know and sooner or later the, it. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. skeletons come out and you become a marriage <laughs> counselor and the child thing and whatever 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 but um and I thought oh and I I loved it loved it loved it till the end and then all of a sudden I was done mm -hmm. I was done and it was it was amazing to me because as I say I never thought that I would actually stop that active work right. so and about um i think this is an important thing for mm -hmm. anyone listening who might be in in the helping professions mm -hmm. and working with people in crisis or at the end of life or whatever um i remember i was sitting outside and i don't know if i was praying or meditating or reading a book or whatever all of a sudden I've just felt things fall off me. And I was like, what is going on? You know, it, it, it wasn't distressing. It was gentle. It was peaceful, but it was very, very real. And I could feel it. And I said to myself, oh, my gosh. And it took me a couple of, not that day, but maybe the day or the day after. And I'm like, my goodness, what was that? And I realized it was all the emotions and all the pain and all the tears shed and unshed that I had, uh, I had walked with people on their final journey. And uh, it, it was, I was grateful. I was grateful that that happened. And because I realized- you could shed it and it was- then I could, Yes, then I could let it go. Right. And the thing was, I didn't realize the impact. Yeah, exactly. Until that very day, you exactly. know. And I were I, as you do, I know you do, worked very hard at the balance oh. when I was doing that work. You know, I fit in time. I fit in, uh, you know, not having putting the the answer phone on and right, right. you know letting it take the things. And um, I I really tried all during my career to have a balance the balance you know yeah. and to have joy you know and do fun things absolutely <laughs> you know um a similar I go out with you and rosemary <laughs> you know um i was as you know in hospice for over 30 years and yeah. um when my aunt died my last aunt it was mm -hmm. in 2015 Mm -hmm. And after she passed and I was there, it was peaceful, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, 
as I, I drove down to Florida and I drove back, I knew that my time at hospice was done, oh. but I wasn't ready yet. Mm -hmm. So I said, I need to say goodbye to the hospice work before I right. go on to the next thing. That's right. Yeah. And when I kind of got put in the situation, um, somebody wanted me here where I am now at the Soul Center, Sweetness of Life, and okay. all women entrepreneurs. Yeah. And they said, you have to be here. You have to. And I said, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And when mm -hmm. it happened, which was February of 2017, I uh -huh. had already been doing the work for a year and a half. And then for a while, I worked hospice and this, which, you know, was only yeah. 60, 70 hours a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I made the trade. Yeah, you know how this goes. And yeah. I made the transition. But when I was ready to say, I'm going to do this, the private practice full time before right. I start the podcast, I was like you. Okay, I can say I'm done now. I'm I've done. done. I've done. I did the work. I love the work. Work right. And now I'm doing life loss and grief so it's similar but expanded oh know? absolutely sure but i but i love the oh I yeah i love yeah. it and that's done. oh it was it was that, that was very important yes i mean i knew i was done here in my head i knew i was done um in my heart because i had given everything i could have given mm -hmm. as much as i could every day to all the people that came into my life, the right. families, the dying, whoever, okay? I really, I, I really tried to do that. Uh, but there was still that tug. There was still that part that, um, I mean, the intimacy of some of the sharing at yeah. the time of death and the way the dying were so beautifully teaching me how to live because they, they know, they know, and the dying are our teachers, you know, Absolutely. and I will, I will say that to, you know, the end of my own life. Whoever um, will listen to us, Kath. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's why I'm glad my friend has a podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but then, but there was that part. And then when that was gone, you know, it was gone, but right. You know, I and it's like when I work with people, uh, trying to help them to have no regrets. Mm -hmm. And I had to work with myself. There you go. That you go. when it was the time when I was ready, when I said I have no regrets. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. And it's such. It's so peaceful. It's Isn't so it? Peaceful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you right. know what's funny about it is it seems easy when we get to that place. But yeah. that's like overnight success after 70 years, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> we get all the work going up to it. And right, the actual right. releasing then becomes what feels yeah. like easy. But yeah. it's more natural at that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, in the but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade a day. Right? I really wouldn't trade a day. I'm not saying it was easy all the time. No, Some never, families right? were, it was very difficult. There right. were times in my own life when I was going through stuff that it was very hard, right. you know, but it was still the work. The work was such a gift. Absolutely. To be with people at that time. That's right. It's, 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 it's just, it's just precious. It's Absolutely. Precious. And yeah. I love you know, so now that I've retired from hospice and I'm doing life loss and grief 
N. Yeah. Um, so guiding people to live mm -hmm. a very full life and to take the passing of someone and fit it into their life. Right. Not get over, get past. No, 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 you don't. You don't. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. So this first year of the podcast, um, I asked people what gave them hope for the future. And I know you always have hope. Mm -hmm. And so I'll ask you two questions. First, what okay. do you hope for the future? My hope uh, for the future, just of the future or my own future? What, Whatever. what gives you hope for the future? Oh, I'm assuming oh. you have it. So what gives you hope? Oh, oh what gives me hope um, is my relationship with God. And actually uh, being retired, um, I have time that I didn't have right. uh, to, you know, I'm, I'm very involved in my church. Um, I married a Lutheran pastor, so I went from being Catholic, <laughs> a Roman Catholic nun, to an active Lutheran. <laughs> which is fine which is fine I, being I just flexible is important it. girl <laughs> absolutely absolutely uh, and it was so funny when they realized that their the wife of the pastor had been a roman catholic nun everybody just kind of looked you know like who is this but anyhow they didn't ask me to play the organ <laughs> but anyhow uh uh, that's you know that's really what um, what my hope is for myself is to continue to grow in relationship to God you know and I I do Bible study and um, I'm also um, uh, an advanced therapeutic touch practitioner so I try with prayer I try to do a lot of distant healing and prayer um, that's that's uh, that's really what my hope is to be able to continue to do that, you know, to stay well, to stay strong enough, um, to be in a, in a situations to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, I, people find me, it's the funniest thing. People find me, people find me. I'm in a senior community. I have my own apartment, which I love. Um, but people find me, you know, when I go to the, I go to the mailbox or I go and do my wash or whatever. Um, and I'm very active in my church. Um, and my, I, uh, my hope for the world, I really, I really hope and pray that, um, that we will regain our ability to love and to be kind. Um, because I think with all the things, certainly with COVID and uh, being isolated, being isolated has been so hard for people. Absolutely. Um, but that that really is my hope for the world. That's beautiful. You know, yeah. And, and this season of the podcast, yeah. decided to name it, because we're still in the pandemic, you know, weathering the storm, but cultivating kindness. Right. And, I'm so I love glad that it because we have to cultivate it. We have to dig for it. It's not right. just be kind and all will be well. You know, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Like that. So no, no, no. Uh -uh. you're a beautiful example of both hope and kindness. So <laughs> let me say thank you for being a very special treasured guest uh -oh. on the podcast <laughs> to healing and hope thank you so much kathy for being here with us today. oh bernadette thank you so much sweetheart i love you you look beautiful and i'm gonna call rosemary this Wonderful. afternoon 
Okay. All right. All right. I love you, hon. Take care. I love you. And thank you to Beatrice, too. Oh. <laughs>